It's good to be here and to see you and to be a part of this. Last week was one of two times that I've had to miss church because I wasn't feeling well. And both times was pneumonia. And so I was at home last week just kind of praying and reading scripture and thanking God for the people that are here, the team, Pastor Elijah and Abigail and Lisa and guest preachers and all that stuff. And the team that's here serving every week. I had just that week done a, a little group study on Monday nights with the men, and we talked about humility, and then now I was being forced to learn humility as I just kind of quit trying to just get over it and uh, got my medication and was sort of working through that. So that was, that was last weekend. I was, I was out, but uh, good to be back. And it was probably comes back to this question, where did things go wrong, Right. All of you in this past week have had a situation where you're like, this is not, things are not the way they're supposed to be, and I'm living in, in the shadows and, and in the aftermath of all of that reality. And, and whether it was like your car broke down or something didn't work at work or, or we had a fight at home or whatever it was, or maybe just some of the just other stuff that's out there splashed onto your lap, and you're just like, where did things go wrong? As a, as a young married couple, we would often go and buy cheap furniture at Ikea. Uh, and we would buy this stuff for our home because that's all we could afford. And, and I would get it and I would just start putting it together, you know. And the next thing I like about Ikea is that it doesn't have any words. It's just pictures, right, and little arrows. And, you know, and I'm, anyone, any dummy could do this. And then I get to the certain point and I'm like, this thing isn't working. What's wrong, you know? And I, and I had to go back in the instructions like, oh, I missed this step or I put this one upside down and, and I got to take the whole thing apart and where did things go wrong? And the world we live in is not the way it's supposed to be. You and I live with that painful reminder every day. Something reminds us of that every day. And I'm excited to, preach this text because I think this helps explain a lot of what goes on in our world and hopefully gives us a, a sense of how to move forward in a healthy and appropriate way. And so as we come to God's word today, I just invite you to pray with me as we seek to learn from him together and see where did things go wrong. So I'm going to give you a moment just to pray on your own. As you can see, we're coming to the community table at the end of this service. And so it's also a time for you just to get your heart clean before the Lord and confess any sin and Make sure that you're right with God so that you can just hear from him and also worship him later with communion. So let's, let's spend a few moments just preparing our hearts and then we'll jump into the word together. Forgive us, O oh Lord where we have gone wrong this week. And return our hearts to you as we come to your word this morning. I thank you for this body, for your church, that we can gather in this today and this moment is a safe place. It's a safe space. It's a place for us to come and just to receive from you spiritual nourishment and, and instruction. So, so teach us, Holy Spirit. Guide us illuminate Jesus Christ for us that we might see him clearly this morning. Help us to move forward in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Genesis chapter 2, 
the chapter ends with everything is nice and good and working and perfect. A perfect marriage, a perfect relationship, a perfect garden, all the trees to eat from, everything is good. And there is one boundary put in place, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree, you'll surely die. But everything else, God says, freely eat. The one bad thing in the garden is that Adam's alone. God provides out of his side, Eve. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And, and the first marriage occurs at the end of chapter 2. Adam and Eve are brought together. It's beautiful. It's, it's wonderful. Emotional, psychological, sexual. Everything we need in life is provided, and it's perfect, and it's good. Nothing is wrong. And in Genesis 3, the key to what went wrong is introduced. Something happened because the picture of chapter 2 is so nice and all of a sudden we look at our world and we're like, this is not like Genesis 2. Well, it isn't. You're right. And something happened in chapter 3. Now, before verse 1, there is this unwritten narrative going on that, that the scriptures refer to later on in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, Ezekiel, chapter 28. There is in heaven... God has created this angelic host with different levels of angels, guardian angels, archangels, all these you know, spiritual beings floating around in, in the heavenly universe. And the scriptures allude to them. They refer to them. They don't give us, don't focus on them, but they're there. They're God's servants. And there is one archangel that was created in beautiful glory and splendor who decided that he wanted what God had. The creator looked at the cre the creature creature looked at the creator the creature looked at the creator and said that's I want what you have and God's like you can't have what I have and in his pride God casts Lucifer the devil Satan whatever the scriptures call him to the earth and now he's here to frustrate God's plan now that is Hidden between verse 25, chapter 2, and Genesis 3, verse 1, there's this angelic rebellion, angels cast out of heaven, and now there is an enemy of God roaming through the universe and the earth. Because in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, The serpent was more shrewd than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. So the serpent shows up. The snake in the Hebrew, Nahash could also mean the, the shining one. This has been debated by biblical scholars for centuries. Who is the serpent? What is the serpent? Is it a myth? Is it true? And it is true. This is an actual story that happened. Satan is using the form of a snake to speak to Adam and Eve in the garden. It says he was more shrewd. In the Hebrew, the word shrewd actually kind of rhymes with the word naked in chapter 2 of the end of chapter 2 of Genesis. So there's this Adam and Eve naked and innocent, and now there's the, the serpent who's shrewd. He's a rune. And he said to the woman, he speaks. He's a talking snake. It's kind of weird. You're like, well, what's going on with that? But it's a perfect garden. Adam and Eve are 100% innocent. They don't think of anything bad or wrong or, or you know, evil because they can't conceive that. Everything is perfect and good. And so the, the snake starts talking while she's, she's you know, just, okay, whatever, you know. And, and, and he says to her, is it really true? And here's where things begin to go wrong. When we start questioning what God has said. 
is it really true? In your life, when you start asking that question, now I'm telling you, that is a detour. That's you heading into the ditch. That's you falling off the broken, you know, the washed out bridge. I mean, this is the beginning of disaster for anyone's life when you start saying, is it really true? Maybe we can, you know, find a way around it. Maybe there's a loophole here somewhere in God's commands and God's words and God's will. And anytime you start asking those type of questions, you are heading in a wrong direction. Is it really true? I mean, everything God has done has been true and right and good up to this point. And this serpent shows up, the snake, and he's like, is it true that God said, and interesting, in chapter 2, it's the Lord God. It's Yahweh Elohim. It's, it's the covenant-keeping personal God who cares about people. And here it's back to just the, the big kind of generic God. Just this sort of like this sort of impersonal name for God. He doesn't refer to it as the, as the Lord God. He's like, is it true that God, you know, the far-off deity that's so distant and, and really not personal, is it true that that God said you must not eat from any tree of the orchard? Now, we all know that that's not what God said. Eve knows that's not what God says, but he's trying to just plant a seed of doubt in the mind of the woman and of the man that perhaps God isn't really being fair or right or good to them. Isn't, didn't God, isn't God trying to cut you out of the best part of the garden? Is what he's suggesting here. Maybe there's more to your life on this garden than you realize, and you're missing something. Is it true? I mean, he, generically, but he's, he's planting seeds of doubt. You know, it only, it only takes one accusation, one, one question that is, implies an, a negative answer that, that can just ruin lives, right? You know, when did you stop beating your wife? Well, how do you answer that question? Well, I, I, you know, I mean, it, you know, so here he is. Is it really true? Is it really true? You must not eat from any tree in the orchard. And the woman said to the serpent, verse 2, and here's the problem. You shouldn't actually try to talk to Satan. It's not a good idea. I mean, you're not going to go anywhere good. You should say, yeah, it's, that's not true. It's what God said. He said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from that tree, you'll surely die. That's true. God is good. Get lost. The scriptures in the New Testament say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But she's not resisting anything. She's just talking to him. She's entering the dialogue. And look what she says. She says, we may eat of the fruit from the trees of the orchard. But concerning the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the orchard, God said, you must not eat from it, and you must not touch it, or else you will die. She adds something to that. She said, don't touch it. Now, God didn't say that, but maybe Adam, in communicating to Eve what God had told him, he said, look, Eve, we don't eat from this tree, and don't, don't even touch it. Just stay away from that tree, Eve. That's dangerous. That's deadly. Uh, we don't go there. And, and so she, she quotes Adam. It's not at a direct, it's not a, totally accurate, but, but, but clearly they were told and she was thinking that, yeah, don't, don't eat it. Don't touch it. Avoid it because you will die. They don't know what death is, remember? Like they've never seen death. They, they, they know it as a concept. They, they obviously understand that it, might, it would mean separation from the source of life, but they've never seen it or experienced it or observed it. And the serpent said to the woman in verse 4, Surely you will not die. The first lie in the, book, in, the new, in the book of Genesis and in the Bible was right there. You won't die. 
oh, God might have said that, but that's not true. He contradicts God directly. You're not going to die. He's planting a seed of doubt in Eve's mind that maybe there's something better in the tree than she realizes. God's holding out on them. You're not going to die, the serpent says. I mean, what does that mean? She doesn't ask him what it means. She doesn't ask God what that means. She just says, oh, maybe that's true. Maybe there is something really good about that, the tree that I need to, I need to go and experience. And look what the serpent says there in verse 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will open and you'll be like divine beings who know good and evil. Something's going to happen to you, Eve. I mean, it's interesting. The serpent knows what God God knows, right? I mean, he, he presumes to be God, and this is where, we, where things go wrong. When you presume to speak for God Almighty and know what is true and right, and say, when you take that position, that is the beginning of things going wrong. And the serpent's like, yeah, when you eat from it, you're gonna, your eyes are going to be boom, and you're going to have this special knowledge that you don't have right now. Beware when people offer you, you know, special secrets, you know divine mysteries, right? There's all sorts of these, you know, things that have gone on for centuries. Groups that get together and say, yeah, we have the, the hidden keys of the origins of the universe. And boy, if you just follow our, our, our little club and go through these little rites, you, you, you'll, you'll become enlightened and knowledgeable. And, and this is what the serpent says. You know, Eve, you could become like God. And now we have all these movements, the New Age movement, cults and other religious groups that say, yeah, you can become part of the divine consciousness. You can become your own God. And that is the original temptation in the Garden of Eden. You're missing out on, on, on being God. And so if you just do that, you'll become like God. Something will happen when they eat of the fruit of the tree, but they won't become like the creator. You can't become the creator. You were always the creature. But that's been the struggle, and that's where things go wrong. When we seek to live our lives independent of God, Things always go wrong. Humans are to depend on God completely, totally, and utterly. But here the serpent is saying, oh, you don't need to respect this boundary because this boundary is actually a pathway to life, to knowledge, to godness. And so look what happens there. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was good for food, was attractive to the eye, was desirable for making one wise, she took some of the fruit and ate it. Now, listen, there's this process involved here, right? It's like the other day. I was watching basketball and a commercial came on, right? And there's this burger, you know, oh, just fluffy, you know, and, and just sparkling and like lettuce and tomato and beef and it just... Mm, and you, I just want to get in the car and drive into town and, and go through the drive-thru and get it, you know, because I'm just like, oh, it looks so good. And, you know, I got the munchies and, you know, and, but the problem is if I did that, right, and, and I've done this before, like where, where you're like, oh, that looks so good. And you go and, and you go through the drive-thru and you buy that thing and then you, then you open up the wrapper and then you look at it, right? And the bun is squished and there's like a pale pink piece of tomato on there, a couple of strips of lettuce, and the meat is kind of like sweaty gray, you know, and you're like, this is not the picture of what I saw in the commercial, right? You know, this is not even close to what I saw on the TV, but you know, it's so disappointing. But in your mind, you're thinking about that, oh, that looks so good, it would be wonderful, wouldn't that be great, right? How many times have, has that happened, maybe? 
to you. Where you thought, you know, if I just had that thing, and you focus on getting that thing, right? And you, and you finally get it, and then there's just this huge disappointment. You drive that brand new truck off the lot, and then you park it at Superstore, and someone dings the door, and you're like, oh, no, you know, my new truck, you know, and, and, it's, and it's like all the joy of that brand new vehicle is just lost in that moment because there's a scratch on the door, right? And you got to now go through the hassle of, of, of dealing with that, right? And, and that's life. We focus. We fixate. We dream of what it would be like to have that thing, and then when we get it, it's like, but you see, the process of, of things going wrong, rarely does it, like, does it go from like zero to 60. Usually there, you begin to contemplate, to think, to meditate, and then finally the action happens. You don't become a workaholic. But slowly over time, you begin to make that the center of your life, and that's all your focus. You're thinking about your work and how much money you're going to make and all the things you're going to do with that money, and pretty soon you, you've got an idol in your life, and you're building your life around and on this foundation of work and money. You, you meet that person at work that's of the opposite gender of you and, and they are nice and they're kind to you and they seem to respect you and, and pretty soon there, there's some flirtation going on and, and slowly but surely you begin to think about what it might be like to have a, a relationship, a connection or whatever with that person and, and, and before you know it, it leads to a, a, a terrible place but it, it started with the mind, with you thinking and looking and, and, and just fat, you know, fixating on that and, and all of a sudden, boom, you're making huge mistakes. Here's Eve. God's word is really clear, but she's thinking and she's looking and she's wondering and she's, mm, you know, well, oh, I touched it and I'm still alive. Oh, wow, what do you know? You know, and maybe, maybe I could eat it and, and, and I'd still be alive. And, you know, and, and lo and behold, she grabs that fruit and she eats it. And then it says she gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So here's the, here's the issue. Where is Adam in all of this? He's standing there uh, <laughs> watching her, you know, and she's like, hunch, here you go, okay, hunch, you know, and, it, and then suddenly everything goes wrong. This is the point where the world is never, ever the same, right here. You want to know where did things go wrong? Right, right here. I'm not here, but obviously, <laughs> symbolically, right here. When they said, you know what, I don't believe what God said to be true. I'm questioning his word. I'm questioning his goodness. I'm questioning his righteousness. I'm questioning his holiness. I'm questioning everything about him. I'm going to just take the step and do it myself. Here you go, Adam. Okay. You know, and it's over. Adam is not innocent. He's not a victim. He's not like, oh, you know. He's standing there. He could have been, whoa, don't do that, Eve. He's right there. And look, look what happens. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So here it is. This is where everything goes wrong. They eat of the fruit, and yeah, their eyes were opened all right, and then they're looking at each other. Whoa, Adam, what is that? <laughs> Eve, what's going on? You know, whoa, you know, and oh, let's get some leaves and let's cover up. And they begin to cover and to seek to, to hide and, and, and their shame and their guilt by themselves. A human solution to a huge problem. And it doesn't work. 
every feeble attempt we make to solve the problem and the, the wrong in our world is like wrapping leaves. And you know what happens to leaves, right? They dry up and they vaporize, right? We had this poinsettia here, and it died. And I, actually, I, I, I harvested a little, little, well, there it is. There's part of the poinsettia, you know. It was a beautiful thing. But there were leaves that landed on the, on the, on the thing, and, and they dried up, and I grabbed them, and they literally vaporized. That represents your and my attempts to cover up our issues on our own without God. It just leaves that vaporize. And suddenly Adam and Eve are cut off from the source of life. Their eyes are open. They're looking at each other. They're naked. I mean, well, who cares? It's just you two together. You've been naked the whole time. And now suddenly like, oh, we're naked. Oh, get some leaves. Cover up. And then it just gets worse. It's the downward spiral right here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. Here's the Lord God. Adam, I mean, even the serpent are, are talking about God, the, the distant deity. Now the personal God shows up. And he's moving about in the orchard at the breezy time of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the orchard. Now normally, this must have been the pattern. Uh, God would come down, walk with Adam and Eve, like the song we sing. You know, I come to the garden alone, and the dew is on the roses. He walks with me, talks with me, tells me. I'm, I mean, this seems to be what, what it was like. There was like this great relationship with God coming down. Let's talk about the animals. Let's talk about life. It was beautiful, wonderful. And God comes down, and where's Adam and Eve? Hiding among the trees. Where's God? I mean, it's God, right? He sees everything. He knows everything. He created everything. And there's Adam and Eve feebly trying to hide from the Almighty. Impossible. But don't we do the same thing? We dig a hole and then we, we put some branches over top. Hopefully God doesn't see us. God sees everything you're doing. But we think we can hide from him. And to what benefit? What does it really help us when we hide? The Lord God, says in verse 9, called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? Tony Evans has preached a great sermon on this if you want to listen to it on the line. But here he's calling for Adam to step up and be a man. Where are you, Adam? And this is, I think, a question that God's still calling out to men today. Where are you guys? The world says, well, men are just there to make money and they're, they're the butt end of the jokes. You know, it's the Homer Simpson kind of picture of a man. And, and the Bible says, no, Adam is supposed to be the leader and the, the spiritual, you know, leader in the home. And he's supposed to be guiding his family and leading in the community. And the, where are you, Adam? He's hiding. That's where things go wrong. I mean, there was a period of time in Lloyd Minster in the 90s where there was a group of men that would meet, not pastors, businessmen, leaders of the community. And they would pray for our city. And they were involved in civic politics and the school board and other key places in the community. And they protected the city of Lloydminster. They kept the strippers out. They kept the casinos out. They, 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 they were like, like, a, like a gatekeepers to our community. And then they started to die. And the generation after them didn't follow and take that leadership. And so God's calling out to the men of Lloyd and saying, where are you? You're making a lot of money. You're buying toys. You're doing stuff. You're taking your families to Mexico. But where are you? I'm looking for men to lead, to stand up for God and to do what's right. 
The man replied, <laughs> in verse 10, I heard you moving about in the orchard, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You see how fear enters the world right here? This is the beginning of fear, and it's where things go wrong. And when, when things are going wrong, when people are running away from God and hiding from God, fear enters the picture. And fear, when you lead by fear, when you react by fear, when you are living your life and making decisions by fear, it never goes right. Look at the last two years and all the mess of our world is in. Even in the church, people live in by fear. Men who needed to stand up and say, our home is not going to be a place of fear. We're going to live, keep living. We're going to keep loving. We're going to keep serving. We're going to keep worshiping. It doesn't matter. But we let fear into our homes. And it hurt our homes. And it hurt our, our communities. And it hurt our schools. And it hurt our churches. Fear, this type of fear doesn't come from God. It comes from our shame, from our guilt, from sin. And God's calling Adam to step up and to respond. And Adam's hiding and he's afraid. Maybe you've been living out of fear. That's not God's response. Jesus shows up in, in the Gospels and he keeps telling them, don't be afraid. Don't be, the angels that are, are appearing to people are saying, don't be afraid. I mean, God's like, I want to bring you a place where you don't have to live in fear. But sin and Satan and evil and wrong all love to thrive on fear. And the Lord God said in verse 11, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? A direct and a clear, very clear question. Adam, you're accountable now. Did you eat from that tree? And the simple answer is yes. The manly answer is that I did it. I'm responsible. I did what you told me not to do. I am wrong. I, I did. Yes, I did. Now, that would be the easy, simple, right answer. <laughs> but what does Adam See what it says, verse 12? The woman. <laughs> the woman. <laughs> I didn't, you know, the woman. It's a blame game, right? I mean, he's, he's like, oh, no, no. I mean, it was a simple answer. I ate from the tree. Yes, I did. No, no, the woman. And not only that, it's not just the woman. It's the woman you gave me. That woman that you gave to me, God. It's your fault because you gave me this woman and she led me astray and I'm a victim now because of her. You know, that is what Adam, this is the beginning of the blame game, of the victim game. You see where it comes from? When you hear this in the media, understand this is not from God. This is where sin and things go wrong play this game all over the map, right? Don't take personal responsibility. Find someone to blame, Right? That's why we have children, right? It's not, you know, you can always blame a kid, you know, well, it must have been her or him or whatever, you know, and then your kids leave home and you're like, well, who do I blame? The dog, you know, the cat, you know, you're, you're, you get, because you got to find someone to blame. My upbringing, my parents, oh, my job, my this, my that, my health, my, just take responsibility, Adam. No, the woman you gave me, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. Interesting. Just the most cowardly, spineless thing that a man could do. Just blame his wife. The woman. And so the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman replied, I ate from the tree and I shouldn't have, no, no, she said, the serpent. <laughs> he tricked me and I ate. So no one's taking responsibility. It's just the blame shift, blame shift, blame shift, blame shift, blame shift. And then suddenly we find ourselves, everything is just spiraling down. God says, okay, let's quit talking here. Let me just do the talking now. And this is where things go wrong. 
when we don't take responsibility for our actions, when we don't turn back to God for the answers, we live in this spiral of downward problems, things going wrong, things getting worse. That's what happens when we walk away from God. God says in verse 14, Lord God said to the serpent, he doesn't ask him any questions, he just tells him, because you've done this, cursed are you above all the wild beasts and all the living creatures of the field. On your belly you will crawl, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. That's it. You are cursed. And he says in verse 15, I will put hostility between you and the woman. But her offspring will attack your head, and you will attack her offspring's heel. He's like, you know, someday... This woman will have a, a, an offspring that, that you will, you're going to bite its heel, but it's going to crush your head. And this battle is going to be over once and for all. To the woman, he said, verse 16, I will greatly increase your labor pains. With pain, you will give birth to children. You will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. And so there is the beginning of relational difficulties. Obviously, I don't know, women could have birth easily before, and now it's pain. And it's not just the, pain, the birth process, but it's the anxiety, and, and it's the mental anguish of every part of that process. Will I ever get married? If I get married, am I going to be able to get pregnant? If I get pregnant, will I, will I have a healthy baby? Will the baby grow up to be, to be an adult? And, and there's all the anxiety, and you women understand this. You live in that tension of worry and responsibility because that's part of your nature, to nurture. But then with nurture comes worry, anxiety, pressure. You understand? You live in that reality. And then there's this tension. There was this beautiful working relationship between Adam and Eve, and now there's this tension between that man and the woman that Satan loves to capitalize on even today. He wants to, he wants to put a, a burr right in the middle of your, of your marriage and to just push you apart, and he'll find little things, and, he just, and, and that's part of the fall. That's where things go wrong. To Adam, he says, verse 17, the longest speech is for Adam. Because you obeyed your wife or you listened to the voice of your wife, because you didn't listen to my words, you listened to her words, And ate from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground, thanks to you. It's pain, in painful toil you will eat of, of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns, thistles for you, but you will eat the grain of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. You will have now a difficult working relationship with this dirt that you came from. And you know what I'm talking about, you farmers out there, right? You plant it, and then you got to spray it, and then you got to fertilize it, and then you got you know you got to garden, and it looks so good, but you got to get out there every couple days and pull some weeds, and it's just it's every every day. You never like the field looks good, and then you get out there, oh, there's more weeds, or there's bugs, or there's this, or there's that, and it's just like oh, you work, you work, you work, you work, and then at the end of your life, guess what? You go back to it. They bury you in the ground, or they burn you up and put your ashes in the ground, and you're done. You're done. We find ourselves in this cycle now, and you're wondering, how do I get out of this cycle? Well, God's word, the Bible, gives a picture of that. How do you get out of this cycle? In verse 20, it says, The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And this is, I think, is an allusion back to verse 15 where it talks about the, you know, the, the serpent's going to bite his heel, but he's going to crush the serpent's head. He's like, you know, Eve 
the hope is that there's going to be some life coming through your, through you, the mother of living. And then it says in verse 21, the Lord God made garments from skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. You see these sleeves they'd put on? They were not satisfactory. Anything we try to do is like this. It just withers, vaporizes, falls apart. God says, now I'm going to clothe you. And in order for me to clothe you, an innocent animal is going to have to die. Blood is going to be shed. And I'm going to take the skin from that animal and I'm going to put it on you. And then you're going to have adequate clothing now. But it's only the clothing that I give you that's adequate. Your stuff never is adequate. An animal dies. A substitute is provided. An innocent substitute. So that they could have clothing and be covered. Their attempts didn't work. But God provided for them. The Lord God said, verse 22, now that man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to stretch out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God expelled him from the orchard in Eden to cultivate the ground from which he had been taken. And when he drove the man out, he placed on the eastern side of the orchard in Eden angelic sentries or cherubim who used the flaming flames of a whirling sword to guard the way to the tree of life. And so they're driven out, boom. They're outside of the garden. No longer can they access this. And see, God is gracious. He's like, if you keep eating from this, you're going to live in a, in a messed up world where things have gone wrong forever. And I don't want you to live in a messed up world where things have gone wrong forever. I got a better plan than that. God says, you chose this tree, but I'm going to give you another option. And he sends his son, who is the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, divinely conceived in womb with the Holy Spirit. Christ is born and raised and ultimately goes to the cross, which in 1 Peter describes it as the tree. In Galatians 3, he says, Cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree. And the curse that was placed upon all of the descendants of Adam and Eve was laid upon Jesus Christ on the tree, on the cross. All the garbage that we deserve, the penalty and the punishment on Jesus on the cross. He's hanging on the cross. Guess what? He's naked on the cross. The thorns which come out of the ground are placed upon his head. Sweat, blood pouring down. And on that cross, what is wrong with the world is dealt with once and for all. Jesus takes care of sin. And now he invites us, just as he said to Adam and Eve, don't eat from this, he invites us, yes, would you come and take part in the tree which I provided for you, the cross of Jesus Christ? Would you receive my provision now? Or are you going to just walk around covering yourself up with these leaves that are going to dry up and vaporize? Or will you receive my covering, my righteousness, my provision? My perfect son, of God, son Jesus Christ, died for your sin. And so we can choose this tree and find life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. He, just says, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the... We lost it here. But we get it back right here. And so today we're celebrating communion. We eat a little piece of bread. We drink a little cup of juice. 
And it's a reminder of God's provision for us. In eating the bread and drinking the juice, you are acknowledging to everyone in this room and to yourself, I have failed and everything that I've done to try to cover myself up is not working, but God gave for me a provision in his son, Jesus Christ. And I believe and I receive and I choose this tree, the cross. Christ died for my sins. And when you choose Jesus, this is the beginning of things going right in your life. It doesn't remove the effects of sin in the world, but it removes the effect of sin in your life. And you now have the ability to walk in righteousness that you didn't have before. And you have the hope of eternal life. And you can look beyond this world and be like, yeah, there is a perfect world ahead where the tree of life reappears at the throne room of God. And I will be there with Jesus forever. Because our ancestors chose this, and so did we in every time in our life when we act independently of God, God sent his son to this so that we could return to dependence, to trust, to faith. That's where things went wrong. This is where things went right. And that's what we're celebrating here today. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, I invite you. You guys watching online, you're like, yeah, things are messed up in my world. What do I do? Believe in Jesus Christ. He died for your sins. He rose again. What happened here was reversed here. And each of us that comes and partakes of communion today, we are acknowledging this. I blew it. Nothing I've done has ever fixed it. But Christ did it all for me. And I eat this bread and I drink this cup. My perfect substitute, the blood shed for my sins. Yes, my life is now in Jesus Christ. So I invite you. If you have sin in your life, you need to confess it. Don't participate in the table. Don't make a mockery of your life. God says, I invite you to the table to remind you that you need to live a holy and pure and righteous life, trusting in my words. Don't come with your fig leaves to the table. Bury those leaves. Count on the provision of Christ and celebrate communion together. So confess your sins and then come and celebrate the fact that Christ did it all for you and for me. Choose the tree of life, the cross of Jesus Christ, the pathway to, to pure righteousness, Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to invite the team up. They're going to lead us in, in a song. And, and, um, and what's going to happen is um, I'm going to invite you to come up to the table. I mean, our ancestors... <laughs> moved towards a tree and made a big mistake, I'm inviting you to come and receive communion. If, you don't, if you're not comfortable, you're not able to, you don't, you don't like to, I mean, we have some ushers that will go around, they have some, some disposable um, communion elements that, that you can partake of, and you just put your hand up, they'll bring it to you. Otherwise, I'm going to invite you to come up the side aisles. You'll, receive, you'll grab your own cup, and I will serve you here uh, the bread. I have a gluten-free option, and I have regular bread. So if you need gluten-free, just indicate that. That's going to be underneath the little covering dish there. The other ones will just be, and I will serve you the bread here in the middle. You'll grab your own cup and then just return to your seats. We'll partake of communion together. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you understand that you, have, you are a sinner, you've blown it, you've acted independent of God, and you need God's provision, and you've received that, partake with us as we close out the service. So come and receive your elements, sit down, and then we'll partake together as a body sharing the cup and the bread together. But I just invite you to prepare your heart and then come and, and grab your elements and then we'll worship and partake together. He says, the day is coming when we're going to do this together. When all the wrong 
we made right. And this is what reminds us of. You know, it just reminds us. This is a safe place in this church where we say, you know what? All the garbage out there, you know what? We're looking ahead to a perfect day with Jesus. Would you stand with me as we close in the benediction? These are your brothers and sisters. We are God's family. Let's never forget that. No matter how things are going on out there, we are his children together. And now, O oh Lord, unify us around our Savior, Jesus Christ. Make us right. Forgive our wrongs. Produce righteousness in our life, and may we live for your glory, looking ahead to the day when we will be with you forever in your kingdom. Until that day, Lord, find us faithful in following you and in serving you and in sharing you with our community. And so bless us, your children, these, your sheep, Lord. Guide us in this week, we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. There's some garbage cans you can throw your cups out. And have a great week. Look around. Greet your fellow brothers and sisters as we go from here now. <laughs>